loving yourself and even accepting saying you accept yourself where where you're at now doesn't mean you're settling with where you're at now it just means it's like radical acceptance right it's it's sometimes it's just being a state of non-resistance to allow you to know that whatever right action is going to come from that presence you're going to know it's in in the, in the name of nourishment not at a name of self-punishment or restriction or obsession or shaming or overthinking And welcome to the Art of Living Well podcast. I'm Stephanie May Potter, and I'm here with my co-host, Marnie Dotches marmette We created the Art of Living Well podcast to empower you to live your happiest, healthiest, and most authentic life. Each week, we will bring you inspiring and motivating conversations covering health and wellness topics, including fitness, mindset, food, travel, product reviews, and strategies from a variety of experts, including our own bank of knowledge. We are excited to educate, motivate, and inspire you to change the way you perceive health and discover your art of living well. Get ready to feel inspired. Hello and welcome back to the Art of Living Well podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Did you know that taking just two minutes from your day to leave us a five-star rating and review can help us reach more listeners? and help us continue to bring you the fabulous guests that we share. Whether you've been a longtime listener of our show or you just recently found our podcast, we would really appreciate you taking the time, head over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and review so that others can benefit from the insightful and powerful conversations and all the resources that we share each week. And if you're enjoying today's episode, we'd love for you to share it with a friend, a family member, or anyone who you think may benefit from this information. And of course, take a screenshot and share it on social media and tag us at theartofliving underscore well. And then one final reminder is to book your 15-minute health transformation audit experience. These are the episodes where we bring you, our community member, onto the show, and we guide you to identify what's holding you back from your ideal health and wellness, and then together we'll analyze with you so that you can walk away with at least one tangible action step. As integrative health practitioners and health coaches, Marnie and I are very passionate about this kind of work. So click the link in our show notes or head over to our website and sign up for your 15-minute health transformation audit experience today. And now we are very honored to share today's incredible guest, Dr. Will Cole. Dr. Will Cole is a leading functional medicine expert who consults people around the globe, starting one of the first functional medicine telehealth centers in the world over a decade ago. He's named one of the top 50 functional and integrative doctors in the nation, and he specializes in clinically investigating the underlying factors of chronic disease and customizing a functional medicine approach for thyroid issues, autoimmune conditions, hormonal imbalances, digestive disorders, and brain problems. He is also the host of the popular podcast, The Art of Being Well. He's the best-selling author of Ketotarian, The Inflammation Spectrum, and the New York Times bestseller, Intuitive Fasting. And he recently released his latest book, Gut Feelings, which we're going to dive into today. In this conversation, Dr. Will unpacks the many layers of healing and really getting to the underlying root cause of disease and the unwanted symptoms that many people are trying to address but have been unsuccessful. So in today's episode, Dr. Cole discusses the relationship between your physical and emotional health and helping people better understand how stress and shame can result in chronic gut inflammation. His latest book, Gut Feelings, 
which is a very unique and really powerful approach, much different than what you typically read in the health and wellness space. And it really encourages the reader to listen to their gut and let their intuition be their guide on their healing journey, which is hard work. He dives in and does a fabulous job of explaining the vagus nerve, known as the wandering nerve that regulates the gut-brain access. Will coins a term called shame flammation in his book, and we really dive into that. And the research around the mind-body connection, how unresolved trauma and health-related shame and chronic stress contribute to inflammation in your body, which then manifests as health-related conditions and unwanted symptoms. Will dives in to the topic of autoimmune conditions and what he's seen firsthand in his practice about the root cause and how you can't separate mental health from physical health. Will shares how stress and unresolved trauma can impact our physical health because we store these experiences and memories in ourselves. And you really need to dig into address the emotional trauma, which you can't find on a lab report. We talk about it's not what you're it's not just what you're feeding your body physically through food and nutrition, but it's what you're feeding your head and your heart. And you're just gonna love this conversation. So with that, let's dive right into today's eye-opening conversation with the wonderful Dr. Will Cole. Have you ever skipped a workout because of drinks the night before? Me too. If you're committed to your healthy routine this year, you need Z-Biotics. Z-Biotics pre-alcohol probiotic is the world's first genetically engineered probiotic. It was invented by PhD scientists to tackle rough mornings after drinking. Here's how it works. When you drink, alcohol gets converted into a toxic byproduct in the gut. It's this byproduct, not dehydration, that's to blame for your rough next day. Zbiotics produces an enzyme to break this byproduct down. It's designed to work like your liver, but in your gut, where you need it most. Just remember to drink Zbiotics before drinking alcohol. Drink responsibly and get a good night's sleep to feel your best tomorrow. The first time I tried Zbiotics was before a 50th birthday party for a friend. As instructed, I drank a bottle of Zbiotics before the alcohol, and I was amazed at how awesome I felt the next day. Head on over to zbiotics.com slash A-O-L-W to get 15% off your first order when you use A-O-L-W at checkout. You can also sign up for a subscription using our code so you can stay prepared no matter the time or occasion. Zbiotics is backed with 100% money back guarantee. So if you're unsatisfied for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Zbiotics is perfect for a night out celebration or an upcoming holiday. Remember to head to zbiotics.com slash AOLW and use the code AOLW at checkout for 15% off. Hi, Dr. Cole. Marnie and I are really honored and excited to have you on our show today. We've both been followers of yours for quite some time and really love all the amazing guests and the content that you share on your podcast, The Art of Being Well. And um, it was because of the similarity of our names that we actually met and connected last year. And it's always just wonderful having like-minded guests on our show. And we're just excited to share all your immense knowledge with our listeners today. So thank you. I love that. Yeah, we have the same mission, right? And I, I'm happy that we got to meet. And thanks so much for having me on the, on the show. Well, you're welcome. So before we dive into the 
the kind of nuts and bolts of the interview. We have a couple of just light, fun questions for you. We'd love for you to share what is your one non-negotiable to start every day in the morning? And then also kind of wondering what it's like working with some of the other, you know, the famous celebrities you've worked with, like Gwyneth Paltrow and others. Um, my non-negotiable for the morning, <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, I, I'll say tea. I, 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 t- I love... I'm a self-professed tea aficionado, so I love Earl Grey tea. Mm-hmm. There's something about Earl Grey tea. I'm not super picky about it. So if I, I, I mean, I love green tea. I love all types of teas, right? So that's an. I, I, I mean, I could live without it. It's not like I'm like emotionally addicted to it <laughs> or physically dependent on it. But I would say that it brings me joy. And it is a relative non-negotiable, not an absolute non-negotiable. And what was your question about? You said the, my favorite part about working. Well, just something, you know, what's interesting like? or what's it like? Oh, okay. With? Yeah. And that's funny, right? It's like, um, I've been in telehealth for 13 plus years, right? My, that's my, been my day job. I've been basically in this room, hold up for 30, 13 plus years <laughs> and 10 hours a day. I look at labs and I've been just my nose to the ground doing this. And I see, th- I've seen thousands and thousands of people, 99.9% completely nine to five. Like our profession wise, our top patient base are school teachers, engineers, entrepreneurs, and nurses. And I found that they all have a common love of spreadsheets. <laughs> and I put labs on spreadsheets and we, the teachers love, hey, my grades improving or the engineers like I'm getting to the root cause or the nurses like, I love looking at data. So that's my, those are my people and the people I spend the most. Now, every few one in a hundred, it's someone that the world would know. Uh, so then the, then the world sees that and they think this is a celebrity doctor and this is I'm like, no, it's not. It's just, that's what the, our world looks like. And it's what sexy, it's what's clickbaity. It's, it's what right. it looks like, but things aren't always what they look like. And that's definitely the case for my situation. Um, so they're just like anybody else. I mean, they're, it's so cliched, but it's, they are not they, I mean, the same things that impact the people that uh, the school teachers, and engineers, same thing impact because we're all living in the same world, right? Mm-hmm. We're all exposed to the same things. We all have common stressors. Um, it really is so similar. The only difference is one is more a little bit more public than than the other. So it's actually no different. And I, I'll say this also too: there are people that I wouldn't say necessarily celebrities, but let's just say people that. Yeah, maybe some celebrities, and but people that have like money or all that like, at like access to things, mm-hmm. and then I see people that have to budget for their groceries. They have to budget for their healthcare. They have to but they they are living almost or they are living paycheck to paycheck, and the common the common out like there's so many commonalities between that whole like I get to see so many different socioeconomic backgrounds, and the. The people with all the access and all of that stuff, sometimes, not all of them, sometimes have the biggest excuses as to why they can't get healthy, right? Like, like I'm too busy. I'm overbooked. Da, 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 da. And then people that are on the other end, they can have the basic, biggest excuses. I'm paycheck to paycheck, all this stuff. But then you see the people that are paycheck to paycheck, but their why is bigger than their excuses. And you see people that have all the access in the world and their why is bigger than their excuses. So I find that we're all kind of in a level playing field when it comes to, yeah, some people may have more advantages than other, right? But ultimately speaking, I see people that are nine to five, everyday middle-class people 
get just as healthy as the people that have everything. So this whole like myth that you have to be like rich and famous to get healthy is really not the case. Some things are easier. I'm not going to downplay that, but it's not like the mindset can be an impediment to both people. That is so refreshing to hear. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Yes. So, so Will, we would love to hear your story in a nutshell on your personal journey and how you became a leading functional medicine expert who consults with people all around the globe. And I know you're an author of four books. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, my How I got in this space? Yeah. How you got in yeah. this space, how you decided to write your books. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, I, I've always loved, I guess, words would be the way to say it. Like, I love... I was all, I always loved writing and I'm an Enneagram five. If you know anything about the Enneagram, like the personality thing. So it's researchers, my, my, <laughs> my passion. <laughs> so it works well with my job and the, uh, the animal, like symbolism of Enneagram five is an owl. And I think that says a lot about my personality. So I've just kind of always kind of voraciously consumed research and information. So that was since I was a young kid. And then I was like the weird, in hindsight, extremely weird kid that would pack his own lunches at 13 years old, 14 years old with like bell peppers, like whole bell peppers. And I punch the the middles (laughs) out and tear those suckers and eat those in my lunch. And I had like this sprouted wheat, like peanut butter for the time, right? It was like the the crunchy, like Mm -hmm. health food store thing. And the health food industry was not what it is today. Uh, And I'd get the random superfood that I read about or the random supplement. And that was my lunch. And my friends would like make fun of me. I didn't care. I think some kids would like be like, oh, I have to look like everybody else. Like I make my lunch the same mom. I didn't give a crap. Like I really just was like doing my own thing and like, go laugh at me. I'm not doing it for you. Uh, I'm fine. So um, then that evolved to me wanting to be formally trained in this. So I went to an integrative medicine school, Southern California, University of Health Sciences. And then there was a guy in my school, older than I was, he graduated. His name was Datis Karazian, which is kind of like, even today, kind of like one of the earlier uh, speakers and educators. He still speaks for the Institute for Functional Medicine, as far as I know. Um, and that's kind of how I heard about this field of functional medicine that was like, okay, yeah, that's what I've always believed. But there's like this group of physicians that are actually doing this professionally, and it has a community of physicians. Um, so that's kind of how I was formally trained in this. And then I graduated, I moved from LA back to Pittsburgh, where I'm from. And we didn't even have the word to telehealth 13 years ago. This was, we called it a virtual functional medicine clinic. And I started it because I was in Pittsburgh and a lot of other people weren't, and they needed access to this information. So we worked out all the logistics before, like, we just needed to figure it out. That's really what it was. Like they were here, I was here. How do we make this kosher and legitimate and provide them the support that they need? Um, So that's really what we've really worked on for the past 13 years and optimizing. And the books are just an outpouring of that. Like the, the books are born out of these conversations that I have with our telehealth patients. And like, so ketotarian was a conversation about sort of a Mediterranean ketogenic diet. It came out in 2018 when all the people would ask me like, what do you think of the keto diet? Like, what's this? Look, I was the keto craze, the low carb craze. Uh 
an inflammation spectrum. Like every day I'm dealing with people on the autoimmune inflammation spectrum. So I wrote about that um, and the sort of a functional medicine approach to inflammation and autoimmunity. And then book three was intuitive fasting. It was the conversations of people would ask me, what do you think about intermedicine? I'm like, okay, this is how we talk about it in the clinic. And this is, that's what that book was. And then gut feelings, the newest book is something that's just really much a big part of our clinic. It's that mind body connection, right? And how, we have to deal with both the physiological and the psychological, both the gut and the feelings have to be dealt with when you are dealing with the people that we uh, clinically monitor and the people that have different inflammatory problems, uh, autoimmunity. So yeah, that's kind of in a nutshell, hopefully it was abbreviated enough, but it was a, my, like how this came to be. So <laughs> kind of a silly question, but I'm guessing you're asked about Ozempic and Monger Mongero or however you say it all mm -hmm. the time. Is that going to be your next book? Like <laughs> the Ozempic craze or and People, what I, what I think. <laughs> that's really funny. Yeah, I do get asked that a lot, but no, no, I don't think it'll be the next book, but I'll answer it. But yeah, you're right. It's not funny, right? It's just, but how many people, how many medications have come and gone as like the next thing, right? For weight loss, right? It's what motivates people. It's what hits the headlines. But no, I don't think it'll be a book, but certainly as conversations on the clinic and then the podcast too. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's like Marnie and I were talking about this earlier. It's just a quick fix. Everyone wants something and they want results immediately, but that could be a whole nother topic for another episode, you know, yeah. another day. So let's dive in and talk about gut feelings, which, you know, I recently listened to on Audible, so it's available. I I went through it so quickly and I could just personally relate to so many of the points that you made just with the impact of stress and trauma on your gut health and inflammation and hormonal imbalances and all that. So what, what have you seen in your practice that drove you to write this book? Because mm -hmm. so many other books out there in the health and wellness space are telling you what to do or making very strong recommendations. And you kind of refer to this in your book. It's very unique. I think, it, and I think it's just much more of a softer approach. Mm -hmm. And honestly, like there's hard work that needs to be done with it. So maybe you can just say, what, what have you been seeing in your practice that drove you to wrote that? Thanks. So it's like the, the book writing world and my books have always been with Penguin Random House and it's always a collaborative. Now I've been blessed because the teams at PRH, Penguin Random House, they've always let me kind of lead and do what I needed to do. And I, at the end of the day, have a final say on anything, but in some areas it, there's a um, collaboration, right? Of like, okay, they know what would whatever do better in book form. And I know the clinical world, like I don't know the book world. Um, so I do trust their judgment. Um, that book was collaborative because I really wanted it to be like, an, I really wanted to show the art part of wellness and this duality. And that's why my podcast is called The Art of Being Well. That's why, you know, you guys get it too. I mean, you, there's a science and art to what we do. But I'm glad that we can have additional conversations like this to explain the context behind it. How the book came to be is just, as I mentioned earlier, the day in, day out um, immerse, immersion in looking at labs and looking at people that are struggling with complex health issues, different chronic inflammatory issues. And we have to deal with both the physiological and the psychological side of it. And that's there's different layers to why I wanted to call it gut feelings. But it, on one level, it's the gut and the feelings. It's physiological and the mental, emotional, spiritual, but also just from a human like lexicon 
cliche standpoint, these things that we will flippantly say, like um, gut feelings, or I feel it in my gut or butterflies in my stomach or gut instinct. Like, where did this come from? Why do we say those things? Somehow our ancestors knew that the gut was in some way the seat of our soul. And now research is really showing that to be true in a physiological way when you're looking at the gut brain axis. And that's something that I've talked about, written about for 13 years. Um, and we're just, we've learned a lot over the past 13 plus years in the research of the mechanisms of action and what's the implication of this. And it's more than just our mood, even though that's a major part of it. When you're dealing with the epidemic rise of anxiety and depression and fatigue and brain fog, but it's also the books, a major conversation about autoimmunity and, and inflammation and, and, all, and this bi-directional crosstalk between the physiological and the psychological and how we in the West will separate mental health from physical health, but it's one and the same. Mental health is physical health and we cannot relegate it to sort of this conceptual abstract um, you know, chemical imbalance or this mental health issue as if, as if it's something separate than anything else, you know, and I, it's really a conversation of how underlying physiological issues like underlying gut problems and we see a lot of mold toxicity issues in chronic Lyme disease or nutrient deficiencies, hormonal imbalances, how these things that we can measure on labs, how do these impact our mood? How do they impact things like anxiety and depression and how neuroinflammation is expressed, right? The neuro nervous system inflammation. But then just as much, the feelings side of gut feelings has to be talked about. And how when I'm dealing with people with autoimmunity, dealing with those physiological things that I just mentioned, certainly, because that can impact flare-ups tremendously. But on the feeling side, so can chronic stress. So can unresolved trauma. So can so something that I call in the book, shame inflammation. Like how do these mental, emotional, spiritual things, when I'm measuring things like the ACE score on uh, new telehealth patients, like adverse childhood experiences, let alone beyond their childhood, like what were their relationships like? What was their life like? And really understanding it. That's the art part because you can't necessarily indirectly, you can measure the manifestations of those issues in the form of inflammation and flare-ups and like things that are literally stored in their cells impacting their neuroimmunoendocrine axis. But you're not going to directly measure someone's trauma. You have to artistically kind of dig in in a health history and like learn this stuff about these people to really be there for them in the way that truly will address these things from the root cause, which has both a gut and a feelings component for most people. Um, so that's really what the book is. It's just a, a deep conversation about that. And I appreciate you saying softer. Like I wanted to bring um, a grace and a lightness to this. And I think that sometimes you can get a book that's profound. And I quote it in, in the in gut feelings that the body keeps the score is a wonderful book, right? Everybody yes. quotes that. But it is still really academic and really dense and really like there's no like, well, what do you do with this information? It's like, I'm glad that I know it. I'm thankful for this book. But what do I do? Yeah. It has its place. I did the body. The world didn't need another body keeps a score. But I, what I what I wanted to do is like, how do we apply this in your real life? for the everyday person to really lean into what the research is showing to be beneficial for metabolizing things like stored trauma. Well, and I also really like how you say, you know, you can't heal a body you hate, which relates to that as well, right? Like mm -hmm. you're really digging into the psychological component. And I think that's so important. And so many people don't focus on that. And I, I think it's something that you need to focus on in conjunction with the physicality of the labs and all the, you know, physical symptoms you're having. Cause like you said, like it's all connected. 
very yeah. deeply. It's intertwined and you have to address all of it. Yeah, you do. And, and you also, and that's another, I guess, a third prong to it, so, which is tied, tied to both. But I really wanted a conversation about the wellness industry, right? And I think that come with the best of intentions, when, you know what they say about the road to hell, <laughs> but, yeah. you know, it was paved with it. Um, but ultimately, I think that in many ways, something with the best of intentions and something that legitimately has a lot of science and can work for people can be used in a way that's not right for you or abused or lacking context and taking, you have to put into consideration bio-individuality, like what works for you. And that's a major tenet of functional medicine. So the what may be great, but what's the why behind it? What's the intention? So that could apply to a food protocol. Like, oh, in theory, someone's labs look like this. I have a lot of clinical experience or whatever. I know that this could do really work, but that person has a lot of shame and anxiety and orthorexic tendencies towards that thing. It doesn't make the thing bad. It means that person's intention and relationship with the thing needs to either be healed or they need to do something <laughs> different. That's like, and that's why like sometimes plan B when it comes to the thing that you're doing in wellness, sometimes plan B ends up being plan A if plan B is what's sustainable and realistic for you and you meeting your body where you're where it's at and where your even emotional mental health is where it's at so that's sort of the art part too right and and I really want to talk about this these polar opposite wars I think that are happening in our culture and on social media of like we have toxic diet culture in one end. And then I would say equally toxic anti-diet culture on the other side that like ignores all basic logistic laws when it comes to nutrition, that there's quote unquote, no such thing as a bad food. Yeah. Some foods will feed chronic disease. That's not good. And I think we can have a tough conversation about it. That doesn't make you bad. Doesn't make you a failure, but it does mean that food doesn't love you back. And it's a lot of the conversations about healthy boundaries but ultimately, the, the the conversation on healthy boundaries, the ultimate relationship is with you and yourself. Like, what's your healthy boundaries with yourself? And that includes the foods you eat. These are all conversations that I have on individual levels with people. And I just know when you hear the same questions enough times, you know, wow, this is a bigger, this is a big problem. This is like a social issue that, and that's what I wanted to write about. Yeah. And couple things that you mentioned, you know, you mentioned this shameflation, which I think is such a great term, and maybe you can extrapolate on that a little bit and how it really affects our lives. And then the bio-individuality is so big. Um, and, you know, and you also talk in the book about how, you know, a lot of the people that you're seeing are doing good things and people are presumably a lot of them pretty healthy and eating pretty well, but they're still having these issues. And so it's only when you peel back the layers and address that emotional component that, people are able to really heal themselves too and just mm -hmm. like tune in and listen to their body. So I guess, can you first just touch on the shameflation? The... Yeah, shameflation. Yeah, shameflation. Yeah, so it's, it's, just, it's a made up word, so it's okay. Yeah. You can say it however you want, but <laughs> it, it's like, it's just my made up word to talk about. And that's why I was saying my like early passion of writing and like educating really. And a lot of my work is around education and and, I, and my teachers that are patients get it. Like you'll wake up in the middle of the night and be like, oh, like that's the way I can say it. Like some weird analogy, <laughs> but <laughs> it's, it's like, all right, I like, it's just 
my way of describing the research around the mind-body connection and how things like shame and things that cause shame, right? Because shame doesn't happen in a vacuum. Like there, there are reasons why you're shame, right? So like unresolved trauma is a major part of that or health-related shame. I have shame around my body. I have shame around food and chronic stress, right? I'm like snapping at my partner. I'm eating foods that don't love me back because I'm stress eating and I don't feel good about that. I'm in like, I'm, you know, not present with my kids or whatever. And there's a lot of shame around all these things, all, no matter what the origins of your shame is, it's shame inflammation is just showing these mental, emotional, spiritual things will impact your physiology. And there's one study that I talk about in the book. It was the people had to do stressful or embarrassing, shame-based activities for many people, doing math and public speaking. <laughs> and they measured interleukin-6, IL-6, which is our inflammatory protein. People that practice self-compassion had the lowest interleukin-6 levels, had the lowest inflammation levels. And on day two of that study, you'd expect, okay, maybe um, the inflammation levels would calm down. It actually got worse. It's cumulative. The people that public spoke, it raised even more. That just shows you the chronic inflammatory state for many people that they're in. But yet people that practice self-compassion, and I teach how to do that in the book. It's not just some fluffy, vapid thing. It's a real science like neuro retraining, really, neuroimmunoendocrine retraining, it will lower inflammation levels in the body. So yeah, it's shame inflammation is a ma massive problem. Um, but it's really tough when you're going through autoimmune flare-ups, which is what I see a lot, when food is implicated into flare-ups in many ways. And then you start thinking, they have this sort of trauma response to, I never want to have that flare up again. They start fearing foods. And then I think of what the researchers, how the researchers refer to molecular mimicry when the immune system's lost recognition of self, that's when the immune system's attacking certain parts of the body. And there's like 50 million Americans that have an autoimmune condition. There's over a hundred different autoimmune conditions known that is recognized as overtly autoimmune. And there's many more that have autoimmune components to it. So on a physiological level, that's what's going on. When the immune system's lost recognition of self, the immune system's attacking the thyroid for Hashimoto's disease or the myelin sheath for MS or the joints for rheumatoid arthritis, that's molecular mimicry. That's happening on a physiological level. But then you look at the research of how stress and shame is impacting autoimmunity. And you think of that phrase that researchers say, losing recognition of self. And you think how many, how much of that's happening on a mental, emotional, spiritual level. And then for some people, what came first? For some people, it's the mental, emotional, spiritual stuff that hasn't been dealt with that's manifesting in their physical body. And for some people, it's a bit of both that the mental, emotional, spiritual things were a component to triggering the autoimmunity. But then physiologically, there's this inner war too, because they don't know which way is up and down. And they feel like their body's kind of turned against it as it attack. And it literally is attacking them, but they really um, have to start to heal their relationship with food in their body, but also heal their body. Um, because when you're down to three or four foods you can eat, because you have so many food sensitivities, it's a tough conversation to have when you're taking sort of the anti-diet culture position and say, well, there's no such thing in a bad food. Tell somebody with autoimmunity that right. um, they will say, yep, there's some foods that don't love me back. And I'm not trying to be restrictive here, but it doesn't make me feel good. But then 
because of that stress and anxiety around, it can make things worse because that stress and anxiety, then they start to think, is this the food or is it my anxiety around the food? It can be both. It's like this vicious cycle really, right? Exactly. Exactly. So both the physiological, like there, we have to deal with the physical flare-ups, but we have to deal with that trauma response against that food that maybe it once didn't work for you, but you can heal from these things and really decrease the severity and frequency of flare-ups. So these are just not, I just, maybe I'm blathering too much, but just they're not linear and they're not cookie cutter and it's messy sometimes and healing is not linear. And it's so easy for us to pontificate and say like make black and white statements. There's just a lot of nuance and a lot of context that are important for these conversations. Marty and I are thrilled to share two new products that we've both been using daily for several months and are loving the results. Do you need better nutrition, improved energy or focus, but don't know how? Well, Energy Bit Spirulina Algae Tablets are your answer. They are effortless to take and organically grown. These bits of food are 100% spirulina, which is the most nutrient-dense, antioxidant-rich, high-protein food in the world. You just swallow or chew a few tablets each morning or whenever you are tired or hungry to improve your mitochondria, your energy, your gut health, focus, and reduce your hunger and cravings. They also replace the need for caffeine. Energy bits are safe for the entire family and pets love them too. Maybe you need to improve your gut health, support your detoxification, or add more green nutrition to your diet. Recovery Bits Chlorella Tablets are the perfect solution. Recovery Bits USDA certified chlorella tablets are bits of food that strengthen your immune system, protect you from colds or viruses, remove toxins, speed recovery from sports injury, and add the vegetables and greens to your diet. This will ensure you're getting your daily requirements of greens and enjoying better sleep when you take them before bed. I've noticed a big improvement in my sleep. I'm sleeping much more soundly, not waking up at night. And when I do wake up in the morning, I have so much energy and just feel really well rested. If you're ready to supercharge your energy, health, and longevity, head on over to the Energy Bits website, E-N-E-R-G-Y-B-I-T-S dot com, energybits.com. Use the discount code LIVING for 20% off your entire order. Well, and Stephanie and I are both, you know, health coaches, and I think I'm thinking that when your patients or your clients come to you, you know, they're they're going to see a functional medicine doctor. So they are in the mindset where they're, okay, I'm going to do what Dr. Cole or Dr. Will tells me to do. Whereas I think sometimes, you know, even talking to friends or whatever, they're, they're, a lot of people are just looking for a quick fix. They're going to eat, you know, they're going to go on the diet where they're eating the bars and eating the food of whatever the diet plan is for six months and lose a ton of weight and feel amazing. But then they go off of it and it's like they're gaining it back. They're right back where they started. They didn't learn mm-hmm. how to cook healthy food. They didn't figure out, you know, what's going on inside their bodies. And do you deal with that at all in your client population? Or would you say like, I can't imagine telling a client of mine, okay, you can only eat four foods at this point because everything is off the table for you. Like I, that would be really hard. No, my goal over time, I mean, this isn't every single one of my patients, but I would just say to, to your point earlier, most people that I'm meeting are eating better than most Americans, right? They're, they're erudite, they're well-read, they're researched. 
there can be some food related trauma involved with autoimmunity and digestive problems and, you know, things that metabolic issues that don't work for them. And part of that is looking at, let's get a baseline. Let's start to calm things down. And we have to deal with both the gut and the feelings part of it. And part of it is bringing grace and lightness to heal the relationship with food, but also not gaslighting them and saying, well, no, you can eat whatever you want. Like just keep, have whatever that's fine because they know their body too. And I think it's just sort of like really having a heart to heart conversation and then being real, like, like, yeah, these foods don't love you back right now, but that's not necessarily always going to be the case. Um, and then these, like, I want to expand their list of foods that, that love them back. And I want to shrink the list of foods that, that don't love them back. So I, I really want them to have more flexibility and, and resilience and, and enjoy food and people, when you're going through these sort of issues, it can like, there can be a lot of like food isn't fun anymore. Food mm -hmm. is like very miserable and it's scary for some people. And that involves a lot of physiological healing to get their gut more resilient and balanced, digesting, absorbing things, all that stuff. But also it is healing their head and their heart too. And look, and like, that's the analogy I put in the book. It's not about just what you're feeding your body. Like, what are you serving your head and your heart on a daily basis? And these are these thoughts and words and emotions and experiences that need to be dealt with. I call them metaphysical meals in the book because they're just as important as what we feed our, our bodies with breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Yeah. That was actually something I wanted to ask you. You brought up metaphysical meals. Can you explain what this, what this is for everyone? Yeah. Another made up. Word. Yeah. <laughs> I've been stuck in this room too long, guys. <laughs> I'm serious. The moment when I get on podcast, I'm like, oh wait, that made sense to me in my head. Um, but the, I, the, this is just a, my way of saying when I see a patient, you know, in um, a shame spiral. You know, when I see a patient that is forever scrolling. They have unhealthy boundaries with technology, for example. They're like constantly scrolling FOMO-inducing content every day. And it's everybody's highlight reels with, with um, you know, the filters and the algorithm then feeds on that, right? And they end up showing you more stuff that you know would perpetuate that. And we know the research is clear that the people that the algorithms tend to, at least historically and even today in many ways, feeds on emotions like fear and anxiety and the sort of lack and like more, 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 like getting its materialistic sort of thing. And that can create a lot of um, dopamine hit, but it also can create this sort of sympathetic fight or flight stress state, right? And like, so an example for a metaphysical meal is like, a section in the book where I talk about healthy boundaries with, with technology to really, what are we feeding our head and our heart in, in these moments? And the amount of times that people check their phone throughout the day is just staggering, right? And we have to look at the health implication of that. And, or it could be, you know, these, these, these uh, actually show in the book, an example of what I call metaphysical meal plan in the book of like, how can we really bring in things like breath work and somatic practices and meditation as a way to nourish our head and our heart, which in turn changes our physiology. It'll lower inflammation levels. It'll lower stress hormones. It'll regulate that neuroamino-endocrine axis, the intersection between our nervous system, our immune system in the form of chronic inflammation and our endocrine system, our hormones. So a bigger conversation around the metaphysical meals is the vagus nerve, that largest cranial nerve in the body, which many of my patients have what researchers would call poor vagal tone or weak vagal tone. So yeah, there are physiological ways 
mechanic like protocol wise that we will lean into with food and improving gut health and lowering inflammation that will improve vagal tone you know even like their biohacking like devices that we recommend for patients that will improve vagal tone but the metaphysical meals for me are things like breath work and getting out in nature and grounding practices and somatic practices and for people that need them uh for need it emdr a type of therapy that i talk about in the book that these things will also actually be like like a uh going to the gym for your vagus nerve it'll strengthen your vagus nerve, which is needed for your parasympathetic, your resting, digesting aspect of the autonomic nervous system. Can you just dive into the vagus nerve for a minute or two? Because I don't know that our all of our listeners are familiar with the vagus nerve. Well, awesome. I'm glad to talk about it. Um, so it's the largest cranial nerve in the body. It, it comes from the, the root word origin. It's not spelled like vagus, like Las Vegas, V-E-G. <laughs> it's V-A-G. U.S. So it is the comes from the root word, which translates from wandering, the wandering nerve, and all like early fathers of of modern medicine discussed it. They didn't have a name for it. They just talked about this larger, like Char, even Charles Darwin talked about this nerve and like the impact of it before we kind of really knew the impact of it and what it did mechanistically. Um, it's not n- new to people knowing it r- played a, an important role. And now we know exactly everything that it does. And, you know, I don't, I think it's quite the height of hubris to even say we fully understand it. I don't think we fully understand it, but we know a lot more than we ever did. And um, it's regulating, you have two, if we have two main aspects of our nervous system, we have the sympathetic, the parasympathetic, both are important, not bad. They're just, we want nervous system regulation. We want proper responses. So the sympathetic is the fight or flight freeze and the parasympathetic is the resting, digesting. So people think about that. It's resting, calming, and then digesting gut health. So that's really what's at play here. And we need it like a seesaw to be balanced. But most people, the sympathetic is overactive and the parasympathetic is underactive. And therefore, the vagus nerve, this regulating mechanism between the gut and the brain. And when people talk about the gut-brain axis, they're really talking about, at least in part, the vagus nerve. And that's what's responsible for that. So when there's GI motility issues, like sluggish GI motility, IBS issues, inflammatory GI issues, if there's mood issues like anxiety and depression, gut-brain axis issues. And then we know there's the gut-brain endocrine axis, like the neuroamino-endocrine axis. Hormones are going to be impacted by this dysregulation too. So it is it is part of the nervous system, but it actually impacts the digestion, the immune system, and the endocrine system uh, indirectly as well. So that is um, a major part of our work, right? We have to to get regulation of the neuroimmunoendocrine axis. You have to strengthen the vagus nerve. And there's more, there's multiple ways to do it. There's not just one way. But at what gut feelings in many ways is just my telling the reader these are the tools that science shows to be beneficial at toning that vagus nerve. Which I tell you what, like when people are really focusing on that all the physiological things really happen a lot more unimpededly. So you have to have a both and not an either or approach to getting well. And I see people like when we get work on gut health therapeutically and like they make huge strides, right? But then if they're not dealing with the mental emotional side or the vagal tone stuff, the, the mind body stuff, they, many, not everybody, many of them will get stuck at a plateau. But then when you really lean into this other side of it, the feeling side of gut feelings, 
food sensitivities like dramatically improve, bloating, digestive symptoms dramatically improve, autoimmune flare-ups dramatically improve, their mood dramatically improves. So for most people, it's going to be a both-and approach. And that's really what a large part of the book is, just showing people that it's not an either-or approach. And yeah, so that's that's what it means. Well, that was such a great explanation for everyone because we haven't talked about it very much on the show. And I just think that's what's so refreshing about the book is you're not just focused on the food. And I know like, you know, Marnie and I have studied under IAN and I know you've, you know, been an instructor there and everything. And that was one of the highlights of that course was you could be eating quote perfectly, perfect food for someone and still have all these issues because you're not dealing with the the, the primary food, right? The, mm-hmm. the stress and the sleep. And that's really where you get to mm-hmm. the vagus nerve and calming. And I just think for many people, including myself, when you kind of go down some sort of a health journey, you focus so much on the food and so much on the exercise because that's like the physical body. Mm-hmm. And I actually had a therapist tell me last year, she's like, you have been so focused on all things food and physical related, and you have not addressed your emotional needs and trauma and things from childhood. And she was right. And that was kind of the first time. So it was very refreshing for me when I read your book, because it just came mm-hmm. full circle. And I think most people are only focused on the physical or just tell me what yeah. supplements are. What do you eat? Tell me what, mm-hmm. what you eat. I'm like, doesn't matter. It could be poison for you. It could be, you know, my health food isn't your health food and we're all yeah. different and our genetic makeup is different. And so it's just really refreshing. I think your book is going to give the reader, you know, so much, almost just like acceptance for themselves and, you know, a little bit of peace to just say like, oh, maybe that's the reason why, you know, I'm blaming myself for not be, not having willpower because people think that willpower is a real thing, you know, that that's why they can't lose weight and it has nothing to do with that many mm-hmm. times. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. It's important. And I, I want people to, to love themselves where they're at now. And that's the thing is that sometimes people, I, I think I actually said it in the book. Is that like loving yourself and even accepting, saying you accept yourself where, where, where you're at now doesn't mean you're settling with where you're at now. It just means it's like radical acceptance, right? It, it's it's sometimes it's just being a, sa- a state of non-resistance to allow you to know that you, whatever right action is going to come from that presence, you're going to know it's in, in, the, in the name of nourishment not at a name of self-punishment or restriction or obsession or shaming or overthinking. And that's non-linear. Like, certainly I don't expect people to be like, just hear those words and be like, yes, I'm going to do that next thing, <laughs> next minute. No, this is about really retraining the nervous system because a lot of these things, these frenetic, sympathetic type A, and, I, and I'm type A, but you know what I mean? Like that sort of type A obsessive zone that many people find themselves in when it comes to wellness and life itself that takes a lot of untangling to really do, but that's the work that we need to start doing is just shifting and reevaluating what's my relationship with food and my body and life itself. Cause oftentimes it's not just exclusive to wellness, right? It's like a bigger problem beyond, beyond this. Absolutely. And we're, you know, we're living in this culture where the ex everything is so focused on the external package mm-hmm. that you really have to make that conscious effort to go inward and to focus yeah. on what is going on inside of you. Yeah. And actually something I wrote this down because I when I was listening to your book that you said is like a healthy gut feeling connection isn't ticking things off a list, which I think gets to that like a personality. Like I think all of us can maybe attest mm-hmm. to. It's about the time spent doing less. Instead of doing more, we focus 
on just being or something to that effect. Mm-hmm. Paraphrase. Well, and yeah. it was the joy of missing out, right? Yeah. Instead of the fear of missing out. I love that. Like if everybody, if everybody could just embrace the joy of missing out, we'd have such a different world. I know, yeah. right? And that's like a conversation around so many things. Technology, it could be right. overscheduling, right? It, it's we are hyper connected, but yet look at the loneliness epidemic. Like we are so quote unquote busy and connected, but yet loneliness is so, so I'm not saying to just, when I talk about Jomo, I'm not saying be an Island and isolate yourself. I'm not saying that. I just want people to have healthy boundaries with their day. Right. And not always more isn't always better, like quality over quantity and have social connections. That's very therapeutic and healing, but people now like a lot of this chatter on social media and like, and that's not healthy social connections. (laughs) I'm not saying you can't get it there. It's like, there is something there for people, but they're not going to find it. Like the more time we spend online research shows, the more lonely people are, or like the more overbooked you are, you're not more socially connected. There's like diminishing return to being overly booked and overly stressed. So yeah, it's important because these things, that's also metaphysical meal, right? It's like what we're serving a body, these constant big slices of stress every day and and wondering why, you know, I'm drinking the kombucha, I'm eating healthy vegetables and fruits and meats and Why am I still stressed? Well, look, we have to look at what we're feeding our head and our heart. And these things are, and I think I like what you said. Like, okay, people want the protocol. People want the milligrams of this supplement or this, follow these macros. This is what your breakfast, lunch, and dinner. This is a day in the life of what I ate, right? Yeah. People love those. And all of that's fine, but it's not, the people don't necessarily gravitate towards the non-prescriptive things, the non-linear things, the more abstract things, but that's actually the art part. That's actually what you need to find out intuitively what works for you and not compare yourself to other people, but really pick up what's right for you at this point in your journey. Realize that can evolve and be okay with that, but you're going to have to, I certainly, a lot of part of my, a lot of my job actually is editing for people's lives and like saying you do you really need all of that supplement graveyard maybe you need to like have less because you're like you know not only is it kind of like expensive pee at a certain point but it's also <laughs> like what's a needle mover for you what's not it can still be good but it doesn't mean it's the most needle moving you know tool within your toolbox and many people can be stressed out about it like i don't even know why i'm taking all this stuff or same with food or same with their activities it's like what does your day look like and then how can we really craft and curate a day that loves you back which um you know we can't change everything i'm not saying we have to like live on a wellness retreat but how do we do life realistically but also is sane and sustainable I totally agree with that. And I think that it's really a mindset shift. Like we have to get the people in the world to embrace that mindset, right? That Mm -hmm. what works for my next door neighbor, you know, she's taking this and that and doing this every day and she lost her 10 pounds and that's not necessarily going to work for you. Like Mm -hmm. you have to do your own work and it may not happen in a week or a month. It may take you a year. It's a journey. It may take you 10 years. Like it it takes time. Right. And it's okay. I think the other thing we have a problem with in our culture is in many ways feeling like just because we hear it, we need, we need it. And it's like sort of that reflexive lack mentality that many people just accumulate stuff that happens in wellness with like supplements and foods or like biohacking things. It can happen with material things, like certainly with the latest, whatever iPhone it is, or 
um, next clothes, a drop of some material thing. But it's like, no, you don't, we need to check ourselves. And what's the energy we're even, you know, coming in, into this. My friend, Light Watkins, recently released a book uh, called Travel, Traveling Light. I think it's called Traveling Light. And he also, he talks about the same sort of concept. I didn't know he was writing the book and it came out after Gut Feelings, but he talked about spiritual minimalism, which I think is kind of tied in what we're talking about here. Like more isn't always better. And you know, you don't always have to be comparing yourself to other people. That's that Jomo concept that I'm talking about in Gut Feelings. Well, and I love the Jomo concept. And I think you talk about this in their like 21 day gut feeling plan where you give all sorts of like examples and modalities and things to do. But it's if you can kind of tune in again and listen to your gut and your intuition and figure out what your body needs and what would be best as far as spending your time. We only have 24 hours in a day. So instead of spending an hour on social media in the morning, could you do some breath work or some journaling or something that brings you joy? It has to be something that is sustainable for you that when you sit with it, you're like, oh, I just really like going on a walk in the morning. Or maybe it's, you know, I'm missing out on friend, girlfriend time, but I don't want to be up all night or drinking. So maybe we'll schedule a walk instead and I can catch up and I, you know, it's being very efficient because you're getting the workout in and you're outside and you're getting social connections. And, and I think it gets to a some point and you're like, well, the benefits outweigh the negative. And if I feel better doing this, then that's what keeps you going too. But you have to like sit with yourself and be mm-hmm. quiet and, and be alone for a little bit in order to mm-hmm. figure out what, what makes you happy, what brings you joy. Yeah. Right. But, but it's tough because we all have a little bit of FOMO at some point in our lives, most people have. And it really takes that inner work and it's hard. And I think that's why sometimes people don't do it because this is harder than just going and taking a supplement yeah, <laughs> or even going to the gym or eating a certain way. You know, this requires a lot of inner work sometimes. It does. It does. And it can be scary, right? Because our culture is really bent towards distraction and numbing. And I think that that is why this is not so appealing too. It's not that it's not only it's abstract and it's nonlinear. That's probably overwhelming for some people. It's not like cut and dried all the time, but it's also can be scary because it involves that inner work and introspection, which especially if there's trauma or if we're so used to that dopamine hit, it can be definitely uncomfortable for some people, you know, to be still with yourself and to go inwards and really look at what's let me look at my life and what's, what's loving me back and what's not. And like something that Eckhart Tolle talks about, and I mentioned in the book is like, you have to be in a state of either non-resistance, non-attachment and non-judgment. And I think that that's the type of stuff that, you know, it, it takes work. It's, it's a process of cultivating this mindfulness muscle. Um, and it, like the say, as I say in the book, it's <laughs> you, um, people that say that this inner work, like breath work meditation, it's, if it's, they say, oh, meditation is not for me. Those typically are the people that need to do it the most. It's like, for sure, their vagus nerve is so weak <laughs> and their, their, their dopamine receptors are so overstimulated that that's why we all suck at it to a certain degree. Like no one's like, I am great at meditating. No one says that. <laughs> no one says it. So it's like, it's just, how are you doing it? Like there's many million ways to do mindfulness and breath work and meditation. Like, how are you doing it? So maybe it's not the right way for you now. So find a different way. And then it's being consistent with it 
because we all suck at it. And the more frenetic and dysregulated we are, the more we're going to suck at it. And that's why we're doing it. That would be like me going to the gym one time. I've never gone before in my life and saying, well, the gym's not for me. I'm not good at it. No, it's my weak biceps. That's why I'm not good at it. And I'm there to make it stronger. This breathwork and meditation, these metaphysical meals, the feeling stuff of gut feelings is inner as an inner gym. It's an inner gym for your, your soul, but also for your nervous system. I love the inner gym for your soul. Yeah. That explains it very well. Yeah. So Will, what would be a couple tips that we could kind of leave our listeners with? They could be from the book or just from your experience in your own practice, a couple like top things that our listeners could maybe implement immediately. Yeah. So tip number one, I I mean, I would look I think that like you mentioned that quote on the back cover of the book and a major concept within the book is you can't heal a body you hate. And I think my tip there under that title would be really looking at your motivation towards doing the thing. Are you doing it from a a sense of restriction or obsession or like I just I'm so in inner non-resistant, I'm in inner resistance towards my body and my myself and my situation and really coming and shifting your paradigm. And that may mean dropping some things for a time. And sometimes it may mean, okay, this thing, whatever this wellness thing you're doing right now, it may work for somebody else. It may work for you down later on in your journey. But if it's a source of dread and obsession and shame and overwhelm, it may not be right for you right now. So shift your intention of why you're doing it. What can I show up for myself today that's in alignment with self-respect and nourishment and, and self-care, true self-care. And then that number two, I would say practically, when you're looking at the microbiome mood axis, right? You're looking at um, the gut-brain axis and this vagus nerve that we're talking of. If someone's want to talking, if someone wants to look at something nutritionally they can do, I, something that I talk about in the book is lots of soups and stews. And uh, something that we use clinically is our adapted, tailored version. Like they're not strict, they're just versions of what's called a GAPS protocol, which is an acronym that stands for gut and psychology syndrome or gut and physiology syndrome. But basically soups and stews to keep it simple here, um, that sort of breaks down the protein, like soft cooked meats in a soup or stew, soft cooked vegetables that are even pureed for some people in soups and stews that are hearty, that are nourishing, that are delicious, but are just almost like proverbial I think of them as like, if you think of food as medicine, I think of them as proverbial casts for the gastrointestinal system. Like if someone breaks their wrist, they have to keep the cast on. So therapeutically, I find that soups and stews can be a great proverbial cast to mend a dysregulated neuroimmunoendocrine axis and leaning on those. And look, raw vegetables, raw fruit, like lots of salads, all that stuff, maybe have a time and place later on. But if someone's looking at really I mean, that cliche, right? Of like the chicken soup for the soul. It's not yeah. the noodles that are like making people better when they're sick or like, it's the soups, it's the stock, yes. it's the broths, it's the, mm-hmm. and it could be plant-based or not. It could be the glad, warmth. The warmth. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's like, if you're listening to this in the winter, maybe it's a little bit easier to, to get your mind around it. But even in the summer, people are like the summer, but it could be like gazpachos or like some like cold soup. So no matter when you listen to this episode, make it seasonal, but you really, it's the, it's the, either the warmth or the soft cookness, like the cook aspect of it. And then third, 
I would say bringing in a consistent metaphysical meal. Like if you dealt with the gut with the second item, then the feeling side is leaning into some practice that is, that is, it's creating some stillness in your life. And you don't have to do all the things like in the book, there's 21 days and each day there's a gut tool and a feelings tool. So um, you don't have to do, you know, 42 of these things. It's just, I want you to learn about the ones that resonate with you. Okay, I'm going through this. Or I'm going to do more of this. It's picking up just maybe one, maybe two, maybe a handful of things like breath work, maybe somatic practice. Maybe it's Shinrin Yoku. Like I talk about the research out of Japan and South Korea of forest bathing is the translation from Japanese to English, but it's using nature as a meditation. Most of the feeling tools that I talk about in the book, it's they're free. They're completely free and accessible to people. So I want people to lean into that. So I would say third is finding a metaphysical meal to um, nourish your body. I love all those tips. That's great. And like you said, a lot of these are all free. You know, it's yeah. not go out and buy a bunch of expensive products or anything. Yeah. So Will, how can people find you, you know, explore working with you, follow you, listen to your podcast, buy your book, all the things. And I know you have supplements too. Thank you. Yeah. Everything's at drwillcole.com, D-R-W-I-L-L-C-O-L-E.com. The links to the telehealth center there, the books, the podcasts, there's lots of free resources there as well. Honestly, thank you so much, both of you for having me and giving me the chance to, to talk about this. Absolutely. And we'll link all that up in the show notes, of course. And Will, one thing we like to ask all of our guests is what does the art of living well mean to you? Well, I think shortly, I didn't think about this before, but I would say short, in short, it would be, it would be alignment, I guess is what it'd be. The art of living well would be alignment. It would be that my inner world would be matched with my outer world, which is a process. But I think what's more amazing and beautiful than that? Absolutely. That is beautiful. So eloquently said, sounds so simple, but that would yeah. be a great goal for all yeah, of that's us. The, that's the goal. <laughs> that is now, I made it sound simple, but the, <gasps> art, the art of living well is the process of discovering what that looks yes. like for us. Yeah. Yes. And it's a journey for yeah. everyone. So yeah. just when you think you figured it out, like yeah. throws you a curl. Yeah. And ball, I, think, right? I know. And this isn't a short thing, but I, I love that you said that. Cause I feel like some people feel like I have to have it all figured out and my inner alignment, I, I no, it's constantly unfolding. And yeah. I think that there's never an arriving and it's okay to not be, it's okay to never arrive. And that's the, like, we arrive when we're past to the other side, we need to be okay with this constant evolution and unfolding and expanding and sometimes contracting and be okay, be okay with this crazy thing called life. That's right. the beauty of life, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Thanks. Thank you both. Well, thank you. This has been such a, I mean, it's been a fun conversation, but really enlightening. And I think just this overall topic is, I don't know, going to spark a lot of, you know, insight and curiosity for people out there that are on their journey and you know, maybe haven't addressed the metaphysical. So yeah. Thank, thank you. you we're, we're so glad you could join us today. Yeah. Thank you both. Have, Have a great, great day. day. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Art of Living Well podcast. We are so grateful that you joined us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend or anyone else you think may benefit from this information. We'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast, leave us a review, and tag the Art of Living Well podcast on social media. If you want more inspiration in between episodes, you can find us on social media at the Art of Living underscore well on Instagram and Facebook. 
where we will share snippets from our daily lives and our journey to living well.